Get about the curveball, Ricky. Give him a heater. And welcome to the Heater Podcast World Series Edition as we get ready for the Tampa Bay Rays versus the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, we will talk about uh, our favorite or uh, what we consider to be the best uh, World Series uh, of all time or best moments of all time. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, someone looking to be baseball's next $200 million man. Uh, also, and more importantly, Trevor Bauer's World Series predictions. The uh, person who is never short of opinions on Twitter or anywhere else has uh, gone out with what he thinks will be taking place in this World Series. We'll give you our predictions as well. All of that coming up here on this World Series edition of the Heater Podcast, which is brought to you by River Creek Popcorn for all of your snacking needs for movies or World Series games. Come hungry, leave happy. Uh, it is now by special request at this point <laughs> as uh, the season has come to a close. Uh, how was the final weekend of the wagon? Chaotic. It was it was very busy. That was great. But as I told you before we started, we had some mechanical malfunctions and breakdowns, which caused some confusion. And I took it in to get it fixed today. And it was thankfully a minor problem, but that didn't matter in the moment. It meant that I had to go back to the small popper, which was not planned for when we set a special on large popcorns and things like that. And people want a lot this weekend. So it was rather chaotic around there, but it's all put away it's always good. Nothing breaks. As long as I get it away and nothing, no wheels collapse or anything like that, I'm always happy. I got my uh, my tote stocked for uh, World Series this week, so I'm uh, uh, set for uh, my snacking needs as well. You should be. Yeah, that's a lot of popcorn in one of those. <laughs> Amanda was saying uh, that uh, she doesn't see how are you going to uh, go through that much popcorn, and my response was challenge accepted. Uh, so Good luck. I, I'm going for se- a seven-game series, so this way I can enjoy my popcorn all all series long. I, I think you could get it done in seven games. If it goes, if it's a quick series, though, you're gonna have to really eat. <laughs> there's uh, there's football games to watch. As we're noting in the middle of COVID, there's uh, games almost every day with all That's, this going on. So for the sports fan, that. I wonder yeah. if the NFL will go to Tuesday night games instead of Thursdays. I like Tuesday more than Thursday. I've decided. I would agree. And I wonder if the players would too of having the extended week, and then you still have the the if you count Tuesday. I guess either way, you're getting a, a full week uh, of the following week. It. Yeah. I think I think players I think it works. Yeah, I think we'll see that going forward. I hope so. Anyways, I don't see it any worse than uh, than uh, Thursday. No, the night Thursday games. night games are always so brutally bad. Usually, they're terrible matchups, and it's always a bunch of running because they can't put in the full playbook. So Tuesday night, and then you have the full extra day to do it, and you can actually get some decent games. I think. Who knows? NFL's weird too. It is that. Uh, uh, the year of experimenting. Uh, but uh, here's the difference as we look at uh, Major League Baseball, and I'll just throw this note out there, then we'll we'll talk about news and notes. Uh, but uh, it's only happened four times in uh, since the wild card era. So it only goes back to 1995, so we're not talking super long. Uh, but only four times in the MLB history since then that the teams with the best records have actually met in the World Series to face off against each other. So that's what we have here, exactly as it was on paper, as it was laid out in the regular season. As we predicted, one of the few things we did get right, uh, uh, at least I know I, I've had Rays and Dodgers World Series, 
Uh, and uh, so I at least got the, the big one uh, right. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, it's going to be an interesting series. It's strange, too, because so the top two seeds make it. There's no home field advantage, right? We've said there's no home field advantage, but yet they find they're clearly the best two teams, I guess, at this point because they didn't get that massive advantage. They played all the games, and they had to beat two more teams ever than before. So, yeah, Rays and Dodgers are real good. And we'll uh, break down, again, the, the World Series matchup here in, in just a little bit. But first, we're going to begin with uh, some baseball news and notes. Uh, it seems, and we've mentioned this before, it seems as if it's every week we're losing a legend. I have the list from this entire year. So I, some of these I had even forgotten. Al Kaline. I had forgot yep. that we lost yep. Al Kaline. Tom Seaver, right? Famous Mets pitcher. We still talked about him. Lou Brock, the outfielder for the St. Louis Cardinals. Bob Gibson and Whitey Ford, two more pitchers. So if you'd started a team with three Hall of Fame pitchers, of Bob Gibson, Whitey Ford, Tom Seaver, Lou Brock and Al Kaline in your outfield, and now you can add that player in the middle infield. We had both Joe Morgan in our top three when we did our GOAT list at second base. Joe Morgan passed away this past week. Uh, check back into the GOAT list if you want all the stats, but some of the ones that I saw that were particular, the one that I saw that was particularly interesting to me was there have been four seasons in MLB history where a player had 50 extra base hits or more, 50 stolen bases or more, and 100 walks. Joe Morgan has four from the rest of MLB history combined has zero. That's just amazing. That That's incredible. And then, you know, the accolades are there for all the seasons of him leading the Big Red Machine or being a part of the Big Red Machine and winning all those championships in Cincinnati. And then he was a... When I remember Joe Morgan for his Sunday night baseball, right? Joe Morgan's yeah, playing days are ESPN way before me. Sunday night baseball. But he's the voice of Sunday night baseball for years. And yeah, another one that we lost too soon here. Our uh, thoughts and uh, uh, prayers with uh, Joe Morgan's family as baseball loses uh, uh, another legend here this year. I hope uh, we can go a week without talking about one of these Hall of Famers passing away next week. Absolutely. Yeah. As we look at the 2020 season wrapping up, uh, a surprising we're in, we're in the off season for every other team but two, right? Uh, and the Chicago White Sox were one of the surprise stories of the uh, of the 2020 season. Uh, they uh, retooled not only their young stars, but they went out and signed a decent amount of free agents. Uh, they were one of the teams you wondered could they make the postseason this year, and they again had a a good year overall. But somehow the front office uh, did not think a good enough job for Rick Renteria, who is the surprising uh, as, as teams make their managerial changes. This was not one that I had on my list as a possibility. No, not at all. He, so he's, he's been there for four years, which I honestly thought it had not been that long, but four seasons, 236 and 309. But like you said, this is a team that was rebuilding, and this year he had them at 35 and 25. Uh, they were a game away from winning that division, which we talked about all year. It was maybe the probably the most competitive division between the White Sox, the Indians, and the Twins. But they lost in the World Series, the wild card round to the A's, which didn't help. And Rick Renteria is out. And this is the second time. I feel real bad for Rick Renteria because he was the one who went into Chicago and built that team up and gave way to Joe Madden, who got the World Series. Uh, the White Sox are not far away from being an extremely competitive team here for years to come. They're, they're probably in the very beginning of that. And you get the feeling that, once again, Rick Renteria is there for the rebuild. And then when the fun time comes, he's let go. And I don't get like they they requested, the White Sox have requested permission to interview Tony LaRussa. <sighs> Who, by the way, was older than Jim Leland when he came back uh, in this? I don't understand the like. Okay, the the Cubs. As much as I don't like what happened to Renteria there, uh, 
Joe Madden was the big name, and so you were going from one spot to the next as you were ready to take that next step, and you thought that Madden would be the perfect fit in order to do that. I, I get it. I don't always like it when that happens to guys, but it's the nature of the business. Uh, and uh, But here, I don't see a clear upgrade. Who is out there that's a, a defining uh, heads and shoulders better move? So this one's kind of puzzling to me. Tony LaRusso is now 76 years old. He has been out of baseball as far as managing for, I believe, seven or eight years at this point. Uh, personally, I have a lot of issues with Tony LaRusso watching him cover all those years with the Cardinals as a Brewers fan. And he's just. That'll leave you a little jaded. He, yeah. And he just, I don't like the way he manages. And it's, I don't understand this move at all. Yeah. They've, they've talked about AJ Hinch, which is going to get mentioned all the time. He's now served as one year suspension. So that one makes slightly more sense to me, but Tony LaRusa, he actually was with the White Sox now 40, 50 years ago. I think we're talking about like, it's hard to say that, but I believe it was in the eighties or seventies that he was with the White Sox. And you almost get the feeling. It's like, we're bringing him back for, uh, sentimental reasons almost just to help him win now and it's like that's not the idea here Rick Rentria did a fine job and you have a fun young team and Tony Larusa is really old school I was gonna say a veteran manager like for for veterans not yeah. just for himself but uh, uh but the, the style and teams now is more of the veteran now when he was younger that was a different story sure. he, they had the young guns that he was with uh, but and I don't see how he fits this team. I get if they were very veteran laden that okay, you're you're bringing him on for one to two years uh, with the right fit, kind of like a, a Dusty Baker like, that's type. That's the move. one I was going to say. Dusty uh, Baker to Houston last year made a ton of sense. But this is a team with young Luis Robert, young Eloy Jimenez, young Yoan Moncada, still fairly young Yosemite Grandal, right? Nick Madrigal. These guys are young guys, and it's like. Tony Larusa was famously base to base, not a lot of stealing. Like this team can fly around the bases. They hit a lot of home runs. They strike out a lot. They're very fun to watch. We talked about that a lot with the White Sox. Tony Larusa's management style does not seem conducive to that. Maybe there's something else that they're wanting to uh, permission to talk with him about. Maybe yeah. it isn't. Uh, maybe it's a one year thing here, but you're thinking team president in uh, another year or so. Who knows what they have on their mind with it? It's just speculation at this point, but something we'll monitor as we get into the off season. Uh, another uh, change, uh, big name uh, change. Billy Bean has been the face of the Oakland Athletics uh, for a number of decades now, uh, and uh, the. Birth of Moneyball, and uh, most of you, especially if you're listening to, the, listening to this podcast, chances are you've also seen the movie about Moneyball uh, and uh, that era and the analytics uh, that have started to change uh, the game in, in the last uh, decade plus. Uh, Billy Bean is stepping down as the head of the Oakland Athletics front office. Uh, it took a couple, uh, took well over a decade, almost two decades. But uh, John Henry finally, finally got, got his, his man, man. Yes, he did. Uh, and, but not to manage the Boston Red Sox. John Henry, the owner of the Boston Red Sox, also has a sports conglomerate going on, owns uh, a couple of uh, uh, soccer teams uh, overseas, uh, looking at expanding more within it, and he wants Billy Bean to run point on that side of his uh, uh, sports organizations. Yeah, so John Henry runs, I believe it's called... Red Ball Acquisition Corporation, which is, or Fenway Sports Group, something like that. I'm not really sure what the... They have merged, a couple of things yeah. merged together there. Yeah, so he, he he famously owns Liverpool Soccer 
football club is what they call it, in the, which is in the Premier League. And that's, I believe they won last year or two years ago. They've very, very talented team. They win a lot. And Billy Bean is an extremely brilliant man. That's kind of been his thing. And like Dan mentioned, Two years ago, or 20 years ago, when Moneyball first got famous and his system started winning, John Henry tried to prime a way to manage the Red Sox famously. It was almost like a blank check thing, and he said, no, I want to stay here. And he's not going to run the Red Sox. He is going to. He's studying a lot of analytics now for football, soccer, whatever you want to say. And he's already owned parts of a couple of soccer teams from when I read. Barnsley Football Club, apparently he's part of owner of that, joined a consortium that owns that. And he thinks that soccer is ready for its analytical era and he can go help build winners there. So he's basically going to take that and run with it from what we understand and run his new soccer empire. <laughs> as, as much as it, your, uh, your heart goes out to, to Billy Bean for not being able to get that last step with the Oakland Athletics yeah. uh, and uh, wish that it could have happened, he has, he has torn down and rebuilt so many teams uh, normally guys get one or two chances to do that. Uh, he's been able to get multiple chances multiple under the ways. same organization uh, in multiple ways of trying to do it. It's been impressive it to watch. Base. It was on base percentage, right? That was a, yeah. oh, money yeah. ball is all about on base percentage. But then the other teams realized, hey, you know, the, the A's are winning like this. So then suddenly the A's couldn't win like that. So they had to find a new way. So then he went to the relief pitcher strategy, which has now worked so well for your Tampa Bay Rays. And actually, then they just started overpaying guys that they or sorry, taking advantage of players that were underpaid to the point they almost switched back to go into the home run hitters for a while. They there. went back old school yeah, with yeah. Uh, defense and big boppers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the pitching has always been a trademark there. Mm-hmm. It's always uh, been finding the undervalued assets. That's always that's the idea behind it. If you read the book, the book is even better at it, but the movie's great too. And so you're talking about two teams, uh, two small market teams that have found ways over years to be competitive and in the playoffs in, in many years. Uh, the Oakland Athletics and the Tampa Bay Rays are the two examples of showing how small market teams can compete even against the the big market uh, budgets that that are uh, that are out there uh, so c- uh, congrats to Billy Bean on a on a storied uh, baseball uh, career I like to think uh, he makes the Hall of Fame someday I I would believe so I'd be surprised revolutionized if he parts of this game right Billy uh, Bean very very famous GM at this point and I don't think he's done with, with baseball, though. I think he, this is a, a new... For someone who's had to always have one hand tied behind his back throughout his entire de- uh, his entire uh, decades of uh, experience, I think he was ready for just for a change, something new. Uh, but because he started out so young, uh, there's still time for him to come back and uh, uh, be that guy for another team. And I think that would be a challenge he would like at some point. Uh, but right now, here's a chance to to do this and see what happens. So as he uh, changes out his chapter, so also does a, another uh, MLB executive. Again, it's interesting. If you pick the two most surprising teams in Major League Baseball, uh, you would look at the White Sox and Florida Marlins, Miami Marlins, uh, as the two the top two teams that would, would fit that category. And yet Michael Hill, their president of baseball operations uh, for the Marlins, is stepping down. Yeah, that's so he's been there since 2002. He became GM in 2013, but for some reason, now they've just had their like you mentioned, they had their big winning year. We all the criticism that Derek Jeter's received for his running of that team and Michael Hill's been part of it, but now he's leaving the team on his own. Uh this is the time where you think you'd want to stay there. The young pitchers are up and they're making moves and they've got players on the way, but he's stepping down. The presumptive favorite in this one is X ex- Angels GM Billy Epler, he's 
been with Jeter from his time in New York. There are a lot of other Yankee players on that staff. Billy Epler has been rumored to be the favorite there for ever since we heard Michael Hill step down. It actually makes a lot of sense. The Marlins are getting to a point where if they have the money, now is the time to start spending some of it. Billy Epler has never seen a dollar he's not willing to spend to ask Josh Hamilton or Albert Pujols. The, the, they've spent a lot of money in Los Angeles, so if Miami can start spending now, Billy Epler makes sense. And uh, for, for Hill, again, he's been with the team, with the organization for 19 seasons, uh, and anytime there's a, an ownership change and someone that was there before, uh, his contract ran out and there wasn't uh, much there to... Uh, uh, Wanting for a different uh, a different path again. They weren't gonna fi- uh, we're not going to fire him uh, as a result, but he was the the stay over to help the transition. And now it's time for uh, uh, someone new uh, in uh, in Jeter's mind. So I think it's just the organizational change, the ownership change that led to this more than it was performance. Just a, a need for a a fresh look, a fresh uh, uh, perspective, uh, and also uh, Hill definitely had his. Uh, power limited after the ownership change. It's Jeter's show, mm-hmm. uh, and so here's a chance for him to move on to something else as well. So we'll see what happens in his future. Uh, there's uh, someone else who's hoping for a brighter future, and that is JT Realmuto, who uh, has been one of baseball's best catchers for the last uh, four four seasons now. Uh, and uh, key part of the Philadelphia's resurgence, almost there. They just couldn't quite make it work, but not because of uh, Real Mudo's performance. Uh, free agent now at the uh, as offseason comes here, and he has big numbers to go with his big dreams. Yeah, so this was on MLB.com, Todd Zalecki. He said that JT Realmuto, who's now 29, he spent the last couple of years after being with the Marlins, he spent the last couple of years with the Phillies, and he's looking for to set the new record for catcher contracts. He's looking in the $200 million range. Now, at this point, he is considered widely considered the best catcher currently playing in the game. I don't think many people are going to dispute that. He had a very nice 273 on or batting average with a 333 on base percentage and slugged just shy of 500 last year. Now, the highest catcher contracts we've ever seen are your Minnesota Twins for Joe Maurer, right? Eight years, $184 million. At that point, he we talked about this before. Started. He'd already won an MVP award, uh, and the current deal that's largest is Buster Posey has an eight-year, $167 million extension, and he also has won some MVP awards. So while I believe it is noble and I wish JT Armuto the best in getting his $200 million deal, I don't see how it's going to happen. The Phillies, I'm almost certain, can't afford that because of the deals that they're paying Bryce Harper, Zach Wheeler, and some of those contracts because they have Aaron Nola coming up soon too. So I'd be shocked if he got that from Philadelphia. Now, are there some teams that could use a catcher? Uh, the Yankees, I'm sure, would love to have JT Armuto because at this point, Gary Sanchez is the worst catcher as far as he can hit, but his defense is just horrendous back there. That you have to possible. look at who's, uh, without going too much into the uh, peering into the offseason, you need to look at what big market teams have the, the biggest need at that position. That's the only way you get anywhere near these numbers is you need multiple bidders with big pockets. Uh, and so you can look at the Yankees as one of them. Uh, the Dodgers still have, uh, excuse me, the Red Sox uh, still have Christian Vasquez, who they like, and they're not at that stage uh, in, the, in their rebuild, so it's not going to be them. You kind of go through the list. Uh, the, the 
the Cubs have multiple catchers that they're looking at, one that might get traded, and they're not at that stage of what they're looking at. Dodgers have a nice rising star young catcher and, and Will Smith that they're uh, wanting to continue to uh, to develop. Uh, the Angels, yeah. maybe. Max Stassi had a nice year for him. I don't think... I don't think that that's where they're. I think if they're going to spend money, I think we've already mentioned it, it's going Trevor to go towards Bauer, Trevor Bauer would be more or something. Of their, yeah. uh, interest or along those lines, especially after signing uh, Rendon last off season, uh, they're set on the big contracts on position players right now. You can only afford so many of them, and the, despite their big budgets, they're not the Dodgers or the Yankees. Nope. Uh, so, yeah, you could get the Yankees interested. Uh, it, it kind of makes sense. They always have the money to do so. Uh, but let's put this in perspective. Yasmani Grandal, uh, when he finished up his final year with the Milwaukee Brewers this past offseason, he is also regarded as the uh, as probably the best two-way catcher in baseball at the time. He could hit for power, uh, good on-base percentage, so he's old-school uh, uh, catcher offensively, uh, and defensively one of the best play callers, pitch framers uh, that you'd be asking for behind the plate. Uh, he received a contract in the, uh, am I right, in the $80 million range, or was it 468 73 Four years, so, okay. $73 million, so about $18 million a year. I, if JT Romuto got $20 million a year, I could see that. Sure. I don't see Real Muto surpassing $100 million, let alone $200. Uh, if he does, it's like, like $105. It's going to be like, that would be the highest this goes, especially, uh, again, we talked about you need, needing multiple big-budget bidders. Uh, but also it's a, a COVID year. You're not getting that type of contract. Uh, that's why uh, Trevor Bauer is the other big name that's going to be the free agent we'll talk about. He only wants a one-year deal. He could set the record for uh, uh, most uh, highest annual salary uh, this offseason. I could see that. Uh, but real uh, in terms of years and service, also, let's take a look at the two big deals that you mentioned. You talked about Buster uh, Buster Posey. You talked about uh, uh, Joe Maurer. How many, uh, we always know in long-term contracts, you regret that signing by the last one or two years in the deal. Because uh, usually by that point, durability becomes an issue. Performance always goes down at some point. Age catches up with you eventually. But those deals didn't even make it that long. Uh, after like the first one or two years of, of those deals, they they did not look good. Catchers break down in a hurry, right? It's a, catchers break it's down a faster. Physically demanding job. Now, eventually, the Twins got something out of their deal by moving him to first, and the Giants have sort of started to do that with Buster Posey. He opted out this year, so it's a little harder to tell with him. But they're, they've gotten something out of it by moving him to first. At some point, JT Muto has already played some first, I think, so he will move to first, I would expect. But no, I I agree with you. I don't see. I could see five, like twenty million a year for five, five or six years. One hundred million. Yeah, yeah. hundred million. I could see you get to one hundred twenty if you get that sixth year in there or something. But there's no way he's getting two hundred million dollars. My guess would be even that sixth year would be a vested option that could get you twenty or even twenty five. He could get six one twenty five with that sixth year being conditional on games played. Sure. Uh, but we'll and we'll talk more about Predictions that in the will come off season. Uh, but uh, that's going to be the biggest uh, position player. Uh, available yeah. along with the best well, pitcher we've talked about, and we will uh, uh, we'll be uh, talking about Trevor Bauer and his uh, analytical mind uh, coming up later here uh, in our podcast. Uh, but next, we're going to talk about the the big game. We're going to oh, get well, into. We got, hold on, hold on. We have one more here. We got oh, the yeah. weird. We have the I, weird I, injury of the week. That's the e another one of those that's so twenty twenty yep. moments. So 
Here's an X-Rays outfielder traded in the offseason. Tommy Pham, he's, we've been talked about him on this podcast. I think he was one of our heaters one of the very first weeks when he stole like five bases for the Padres. Uh, this is such a weird news story, but okay. So Tommy Pham, from what we know, is at a club. I believe it was a showgirls club, so a strip club. And he finds him, he had to have surgery after he was stabbed in the lower back. Now, the police report described this as a slash wound that wasn't life-threatening. No organs were damaged. And he got stitches to close out the wound. That's about all that's been reported. From all we know, he'll be okay. <laughs> I have nothing else to say about this. Like I, it's so yeah. strange. It's uh, it was a, a random blurb on the newswire yeah. uh, this past uh, uh, week and a half here, and it just a uh, makes you scratch your head on again. Just another one of those random twenty twenty moments just, that that has uh, been happening uh, uh, this year. I couldn't uh, even believe it. Strip, but strip club, regular club, whatever it was, I couldn't even believe they were open. Like from what we've heard about California being shut down, right. we were talking about that before, right? Some of the stuff, and they have clubs open. Like I just see that was shocking to me in the first place. But you know, we hope Tommy Pham. It sounds like he's going to be just fine as far as baseball is concerned. We had to talk about it just because it was newsworthy. But well, I'll give you the best uh, quote from uh, uh, from Tommy Pham in the last week when the Rays, uh, when Michael Brousseau, uh uh, got the the ho- big home run in the Game 5 do-or-die against the New York Yankees. Tommy Pham, former Ray, tweeted out, uh, success is revenge. Uh, and uh, had the, the best uh, mic drop of all the comments of anything within that uh, uh, series uh, of those teams throughout the year. Uh, but uh, that was the positive from Tommy Pham, and I wonder if that could have been that long after that that the, this ensued. He went out but, to celebrate uh, that great tweet. Went, so. went to the strip club to celebrate his great tweet and went downhill from there, but that's 2020. Nothing goes good well for a long time, it seems. Well, let's take a look at the, the World Series here again. We're going to break down by uh, stars, slumps, and supporting cast. We're going to look at these two uh, top teams from each, each league and what this World Series will ensue coming up. Cut my egg. Your eggs are cut, sir. Cut my milk. I can't serve it, liquid. Imbecile! Freeze it, then cut it. You! Bring me the Wall Street Journal. You two, fight to the death. You are a madman. I want to party with you, cowboy. Now, you kids with your loud music and your Dan Fogelberg, your Zima, hula hoops, and Pac-Man video games, don't you see? People today have attention spans that can only be measured in nanoseconds. <laughs> be honest with you, I love his music. I do. I'm a Michael Fulton fan. Yes! That's awesome! As we break down the 2020 World Series matchup, again, we're looking at the Tampa Bay Rays versus the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, for the Dodgers, this is their third time in four years back in the World Series, looking mm-hmm. to get over that hump and actually be the uh, winning team on this. Uh, we have the Rays back in the World Series for the first time since 2008, their first uh, World Series appearance. Now this is their second one uh, as we look at this uh, 2020 matchup. Uh, let's take a look. Again, we're going to break down the series by stars, slumps, and supporting cast. A quick so, shout-out just to the just the Astros and the yes. and the Braves. You should just quickly shout those guys out. We talked about the divisional series. We expected those to go to be great series, as in they were, and then we got two Game 7s, and these the championship series couldn't have been better. Some big leads that slipped away, and then your team won. The Dodgers or the 
Braves did not. So, you know, both games went to game sevens. The Astros had some really hard hit balls. The Braves, the Rays defense was incredible. Um, and then the Braves case, they got some incredible pitching a lot of the time, but just could not quite hold the Dodgers back. But we just got to shout out just how good those series were. Well, again, take a look at what we were saying about the Atlanta Braves at the beginning of this year, that they had an amazing offense. Uh, they have a great uh, ace at the top of the rotation, but there was no one else. All the injuries uh, that uh, decimated uh, that rotation, uh, for them to come within one game of the World Series, it's always hard to lose a Game 7. Uh, like I told you, even from as a Rays fan, uh, after going up 3-0 three, three to lose the next three, I'm like, if it gets to a Game 7, I don't think I can watch. Mm-hmm. And uh, if it wouldn't have been for a uh, schedule opening, uh, <laughs> I was planning not to watch, and then finally the, the fan in me got the better of me, and I ended up turning it on and was very happy with what I saw. And it wasn't that I, as a fan, just too nervous to uh, to watch. And so how much more if you're playing in the game? Did you see the did you see for the Braves? Did you see the Ian Anderson stat? Until last he gave up a run finally yesterday, but at the at one time he had went four plus innings without allowing an earned run in his first three postseason starts. It was only him and Christy Mathewson who threw three shutouts in nineteen oh five. But Ian Anderson, they got everything they could have possibly wanted out of Ian Anderson and Max Fried was amazing. The Dodgers just slightly better timely hitting. Like it wasn't and Mookie Betts by himself is just incredible in right field. So the Braves played wonderful, you know, hopefully next year is going to work out for them. And the Astros, for all the complaints and hate that they've received this year, and everybody was a Rays fan at this point, the Astros acquitted themselves nicely, whether you want to say that they did, were missing some timely hits due to not hitting trash cans or whatever. The Astros went out there, and El Tuve hit a lot of home runs, and Bregman got robbed multiple times in that series and hit the ball on the nose all the time, it seemed like. El Tuve forgot how to play second base for a while, but... People were starting to, you know, read off some of those names, Chuck Knobloch, and uh, wondering what was there. He he rebounded well enough to not be concerned about him playing second base moving forward. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, man, that was uh, for anyone, regardless of, of feelings on things. You always hate to see that uh, from anyone at that stage. So I'm just glad that he's still going to be okay moving forward, at least as much as it looks right now. Uh, the as tone deaf as the Astros were, and still continue to be, they're they're not Car- going to Carlos, apologize for no. a thing. Carlos Correa, uh, he owned it. He's the one who's who's been taking all the blame and has basically been become the most hated man. And he. He absolutely delivered for what everything that they needed him to do. And all three of those big guys, and actually another big free agent that they have coming up, George Springer, was great that series too. The concern with the Astros was, and this is what we predicted as the we got into the postseason, was if, if people leave them with just a shoe in the door, just a chance, a small opening, that offense was starting to come alive. And uh, the for the Astros... Uh, as much as you can say, hey, they came within one game of the of the World Series, I think overall their record and everything else would have looked a lot different if you had a 162-game season. They started out with a slump. Uh, they managed to just eke their way through, uh, but ultimately that team was more talented than their record indicated, uh, and those bats started coming alive when they realized they had a shot at this thing. Uh, and uh, what an amazing series. Uh, and uh, amazing game. Just one well, last one. I promise. Yeah. The last one here was it was a game five when they started the kid who had only pitched above one time above high yeah. A, and got him like two three innings. I was just like, are you that? What a for all of Dusty Baker has had going to the old veterans and not trusting the rookies to go with Luis Garcia, twenty three year old with one start in his career above A ball in the in that game when you need to win and he he got it right. So Dusty, shout out to the Astros. Dusty Baker was the the cool grandpa. 
uh, yep. that uh, everyone everyone liked on a team that no one liked. Dusty Baker was uh, was like, and, and more so, like, put this in context. That wasn't always Dusty Baker as a manager. He wasn't always a, a well liked manager. He was respected. He's very good at what he does. Uh, but in this role, he he became that 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 grandpa like figure. Even uh, Amanda called him adorable when she watched from <laughs> the post uh, post game conferences uh, with him. Uh, it, to have that type of likable personality on that team w- was a, an interesting contrast. He's super laid back. Every yeah, Dusty Baker was a great fit when they needed to find a replacement. Dusty Baker, we, I think one of the first few podcasts, one of my burning questions was which of these managers makes a lot of sense because we saw there was a ton of new managers on a lot of these teams, Jace Tingler and Dusty Baker, Kevin Cash, right? All these guys are a lot of fairly new managers, and so Dusty Baker fits well. Is Baker there next year? One year deal with with him, uh, or is he uh, just a one a one year bridge, or does he stay? I, to me, he's showed I'd enough to stay. I'd keep him at this point. If I'm the Astros, I keep him. Why not? Oh well, let's talk about these teams that actually moved on now. Now that we got through that, so where, where are we starting at? You decide. Well, we'll start with the uh, we'll start with the American League. We'll start with uh, uh, with the Tampa Bay Rays uh, as we look at uh, at stars uh, again. There were a few. Uh, uh, online articles uh, that came out talking about a team devoid of stars or uh, uh, different comments made of it, uh, the, a faceless franchise type of thing. And that's just, all that does is shows the ignorance of a writer more than it does uh, the team itself. Uh, because the one thing that I, I pointed out on Twitter too was you are seeing a star in the making in this postseason in Randy Arozarena. Uh We have mentioned him before uh, with uh, just the incredible, for someone who had maybe... 10 games in the, in the regular season. He dealt with COVID earlier on. Uh, as soon as he got there, he has hit from start to finish. He hit a home run in his first game uh, with the Rays in the regular season, and the hitting never stopped. No, it still kept going, setting records, right? We're, we're seeing record prob- production out of him as far as hitting home runs are concerned. He got the ALCS MVP. Was it? I think we're up to seven postseason home runs. Seven, I'm pretty sure we're at. Uh, he's at six right now, looking six. at uh, potentially seven. We'll see what happens in the World Series. But he's the first rookie position player to win an MVP in either at a uh, LCS or World Series. Uh, so that's, that's uh, already... Impressive. Yeah, that's that's impressive enough in itself because if you think back to some of those big-time performances we've seen in those games and uh, to be the first one, that's great. He's one hit away from breaking Derek Jeter's rookie postseason hit record. And uh, let's put it in, in perspective this way, in terms of the hottest postseasons in history. Uh, here's the top five best OPSs with a minimum of 50 playoff plate appearances. As you'd expect, Barry Bonds uh, leads this category with his 2002 performance with a 1.559 OPS, which is just insane numbers. Carlos Beltran, if you remember when he got hot, the uh, Astros? Yep, in yeah. 2004, 1.557. So just uh, a few shavings off of uh, Barry Bonds' uh, single-season performance. Paul Molitor in 1993, uh, 1.378. Uh, then you had Alex Rodriguez uh, with the Yankees in 2009, 1.308. And then fifth is Randy Arozarena at 1.288. So he's already at the fifth uh, best OPS uh, in postseason history, depending upon what happens in the uh, World Series here. So we, we're at 14 games he's played so far this postseason. He has 14 runs scored. 
He has a 424 Babbitt. Because the question is going to be, can he keep doing it, right? So Is it sustainable? Is it sustainable over a full season? For, for at least uh, he needs four seven to more seven more games, more games. Right? Can he keep doing it for four to seven more games? Um, Maybe, I guess. is what. I, does he have a ton of skill? Absolutely. You've seen that he has a ton of raw skill. At this point, there's no denying it. He's both fast. He can hit well. He's proved that he has a lot of power. Now, he's... Strikes out. He's not Brandon Lau. He strikes out. He's at twenty five percent for the year. He was at twenty nine. So that's a little high. But that's that you can live at a twenty five to thirty percent. Uh, the four twenty four Babbitt. That's obviously lucky. But if you're hitting it over the wall, that's going to be high. Uh, can he hit two, three more home runs in this series? I, at this point, I guess I'm not going to bet against him. He's on such a heater. The uh, and way to bring that back in for I one more coming that. into Thank the uh, into the World Series, the heater coming into that. Uh, he definitely fits that category. Uh, we'll have one for the the Dodgers here too that we'll talk about when we when we look at the National League part of this. Uh, but Randy Rosarina, uh, the reason why this is potentially sustainable at least for one more series is, uh, and we're not talking about a full 162 game stretch. We're talking about four to seven more games. And overall, here's what helps him. Number one, he has amazing bat speed. If you watch him at the plate, he his wrists are so fast. He's so quick to the ball that drives a lot of that power. Uh, and that's also going to help help you with a, a, a higher BABIP that'll be more sustainable when you have that type of bat speed. Number two, because he's so uh, so new, there isn't a book on him. And in a shortened season, it's hard for your scouts and analytics, especially when you can't be there, to really put something up on him. So right now, is this sustainable for the remaining games of this year? Absolutely. Uh, but uh, what is his ceiling uh, as uh, a player in a regular in a regular full season? Uh, is he at the superstar level that he is showing here? What is his uh, uh, ceiling? We'll leave that for an off-season discussion. Uh, but right now... Uh, he is the the star of this uh, exciting team, uh, and uh, is uh, keeping things interesting. Here's the here's the best comparison I'll leave on him. Uh, before we got into the the Yankee series and, and also the Houston series, uh, Kevin Cash made this comparable uh, to Randy Rosarina, and that is Mookie Betts. Right. He reminds him of a young Mookie Betts. And I said when you when I saw that too, I said, yeah, sure. Uh, Maybe not. Uh, I think Mookie Betts is considerably faster than him, if nothing else, because he's got that extra That's part true. of it. So That's I said, true. I said he reminded me more of Yasiel Puig, and I said maybe it's a little cheap because he's Cuban. But uh, Rosarena has shown he's got a lot of skill at this point. Now, here's what I'm going to say: He at this point is hitting 58 percent of his fly balls in the postseason are going over the wall. Uh, the league leader for the regular season was Nelson Cruz at 41 percent, who was almost 10 percent ahead of second. So. It's not sustainable. That the home runs for all this fun is there to watch. It's definitely not sustainable. He's not going to be on this type of an incredible pace, or he would set every record known to man. So while it's been great and I enjoy watching Rosarena, I think that he, next year if we play 162 games, can he get to 30? Can he get to 30? It's even a question at 30. I say 25. Yeah. Uh, I, I think now he does have more speed than what he's shown here. I think he's a 2020 player. Uh, yeah, I, I could I, easily I see that, that. In, a, in a a full peak year. He could do a 30-30. Uh, 
Do you? Uh, but yeah. I don't think that's going to be a at a full like career year. That's he's, like a Mookie Betts. That, that's 30. Mookie Betts there. If you can pull 30-30, now you're talking Mookie Betts. But I see one or two years of that type of production, yeah. not Mookie Betts who sustains that uh, and his bad for, year for so many years. Uh, so yeah, uh, Randy Rosarina is not quite at, at that level. Uh, I understand the flashes or some of the comparables, but over the course of a full season, yeah, you're talking a, a 2020 player, which is great. He's going to be a, a key, for what they got for they got uh, him a key a position player, uh, a key part of their uh, present and future. Uh, but uh, right now, enjoy the heater. Uh, right. And I mentioned this before when I was uh, as a fan, first time uh, watching my team in the World Series was 2008 with the Rays. And what I learned that year uh, about the postseason is. Uh, you can have a, a talent, even a small market team, uh, can get their way to the playoffs with the way they do a roster construction. But to make it to the World Series, you need at least one or two guys tearing the cover off the ball, just getting hot at the right time. If you don't get that, you won't make it there. Because when you get to the postseason, you are going up against those big budget teams uh, that have a stable of stars. The Rays have a stable, and we'll talk about that here, but it's not a stable of stars. Uh, and if, if they're going to make it that far, you need one or two guys going off. In 2008, it was B.J. Upton and Evan Longoria. They both hit six or seven home runs in that postseason, uh, and that drove them to the to the World Series. Here, it's Randy Arozarena leading the way. Uh, the, but the next person, if we sw- switch to pitching, uh, that is part of that uh, star category. You can't talk about the Rays and Stars without mentioning Charlie Morton. Uh, here's a guy who clutched Charlie uh, five and, and two-third innings uh, against the Astros game seven, shut out baseball. Uh, he's the one who's had the most uh, most opportunities in winner-take-all games. Uh, he's had four games uh, pitching in either a game five or game seven do-or-die scenario. Uh, famously, that game seven with the Astros uh, was uh, in there, but 4-0, and with a 0.46 ERA uh, in those uh, four games. No other person uh, has, has pitched in more than two of those type of scenarios. Morton's done it, has had four opportunities, and he has absolutely crushed it. You stole my stars. So that was that was going to be the one I mentioned here. So Charlie Morton, yeah, absolutely. It's 3-0 and this postseason, right? He's got a .57 ERA right now, and uh, he's... Getting is not not giving up a home run yet the postseason, which when the ball is juice like it is or whatever, if you're not giving up home runs at this point, that's that's how you win these games, especially because we've talked about how the ball's flown on a lot of these parks. Now we're going to Texas where all year the home run ball was suppressed, and we've seen a few in the loss in the National League series, but it hasn't been a lot. Charlie Morton's pitched exceptionally well, and they've needed it because Glass now has been okay. Uh, I wouldn't say he's been up to his maybe exceptionally high standards, and Blake Snell has. Flat out, not been that good again. Like he still walks too many guys. He's the magician. Uh, he's uh, he he's uh, dances himself out of uh, bad situations. He uh, dis, uh, tries to make those bad Houdini. situations disappear. Does his best Houdini acts, and uh, it has at least been good enough. Not at the level that you'd want to see. Fans keep going back to that 2018 Cy Young year. I don't know if we're ever going to see it again. Uh, his control is too erratic. He he's just, got yeah. such weird control. Uh, but can he give you? Uh, five innings, right now it's been a stretch in some of those games, but you hope for five innings of maybe one or two runs. And it's possible with him, but that's the most that you're going to get from him. Though I think someone else commented that there's only been, of the however many playoff games there have been total this uh, this year, 
Uh, there have only been three or four pitchers to reach beyond the sixth inning uh, from starting yeah. pitchers. So it's anymore, it, it fits in today's era, but he's still stretching that number uh, where it's more like four to four and two thirds to get from him versus even getting five. And what was it, game six he pitched and he had four walks in like four innings or something like that. So you can't trust that. So they've, the Rays have needed Charlie Morton at this point, and he's delivered every time they've needed him. And so you just keep going with it. And I think he's going to pitch early on in that series. You want to get two, two starts out of him. And if you need game seven, I would expect him to be the one they call on again. The only other star storyline that we'll mention here with this is uh, just more on the name, The Stable. You will hear that name a lot in this series. If you haven't been paying much attention to uh, baseball playoffs, uh, again, the moniker given from uh, Kevin Cash with uh, the Yankees series, uh, referring to the amount of race pitchers who can throw 98 miles an hour uh, and and above. And I think that's going to be a key component to this. I'll have that as part of the uh, big questions coming up when we get there. Uh, What about players in the slumps? Uh, There's a couple of big names here that you would expect more from that has not produced so far this postseason. Oh, let's start with Austin Meadows. That's the one I'm going to start with here. He sort of looked like he was coming out of it. Was that the end of the last series against the Yankees? He had a couple home runs. He looked like he was maybe starting to come out of it, but he's only hit two home runs the entire postseason. Uh, He's got two RBIs. Now he's striked out 32% of the time. That is unsustainable, and that's exactly what he did in the regular season. He is striking out way too much, and because of that, he's hitting 114 this postseason, and... The, the, that's the raise, I suppose, if we would have said at the beginning of the year, that would have been the offensive player that we expected the most out of, and it hasn't come through. He was a five batter versus right-handed pitching last year. That's how good he was last year. Uh, COVID, uh, some injury issues. You know, remember, he, uh, he had an oblique issue about a, a week and a half before the season ended, and uh, there were questions if he'd be able to play in the postseason at all, and he was able to come back very quickly uh, I don't know if, if, if anything with the injury is affecting him, but overall the timing isn't there, and that's seen in the the uncharacteristic strikeouts. He's usually not anywhere near that type of K percentage uh, as part of what he's been doing as a member of the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, but that's been a, uh, would have been the focal point of their offense last year. Hasn't really been there this year. They definitely need that to turn around if possible. The other one to especially that stands out is Brandon Lau. That's the other one. Uh, who was on an absolute heater the first six weeks of the, the season, uh, even uh, starting to get garner some MVP whispers if he could keep any of that type of thing up. more That might have been more for me than anyone else. But uh, <laughs> but in the postseason, at one point, he was three for 41. Uh, I mean, that's uh, there's no way to sugarcoat that at all. It's, uh, been, it's been rough. Yeah. Uh, the strikeout, he's another one. The strikeouts two years ago were... Unsustainably, like they were not unsustainably high. They were un. You cannot play with a thirty-five percent strike rate, which is what he was at. He cut it down this year. We talked about it, and he got his walk rate up, and that's that's great. Now the strikeouts are back, the walk rate's dropping, and he's been it uncharacteristically bad now for this time. He's a little unlucky. The BABIP's real low, but it, he's not looking good out there at all at this point. And those are your two. Uh, Rosarain at this point is obviously up there, but going into this, you just said those are your two most consistent bats or the ones that you your expect the most out of. players uh, yeah. on offense. So when this is a team that's gotten by with a million different platoons, right? We've talked about it. They get by with platoons at all sorts of positions and it Rosu and Wendell and Willie Adams plays short, but he's not whatever. And, you know, G-Man Choi at first. And those are different platoon players, but Lau and 
Meadows were guys that you could trust, and they have been untrustworthy so far. If someone would have told me these types of stats from those players and said the Rays still would end up with uh, the best record in the American League, uh, I would not have believed that at no, all. Me neither. Uh, so they have found, finding ways to win is key, but in the World Series, you need your, your big players stepping up. Uh, is there anyone else in the slump category that you wanted to mention? Those are the two I had. Uh, well, then let's look at supporting cast. Who are the, the, the names to watch for from the, again, the entire, some would argue the Rays uh, entire team is, is uh, a collection. It's of a supporting lot easier cast. to find supporting cast for the Rays than it is for the Dodgers. Not going to lie there. Here's my supporting cast first player. And he's, it's not because of the offense. He's hitting 132 this postseason, although he had a nice regular season in Willie Adamas, but I texted you after I think game two or three that the man needs the nickname, the human vacuum because every ball that gets hit towards shortstop or the entire left side of that game of the infield. I believe it was him and maybe Wendell in that game, but every ball and the, the Astros are just smoking. Some of these pitches Bregman was on it, like barreling everything. And they would like pick these ridiculous balls and get outs all over. It was incredible. The Rays defense was incredible. And Willie Adamas, it was a lot of it was him. So I'm going to mention Willie Adamas. I said, not for the bat. He's they're not Anything to get as far as offense is concerned out of Willie Adams, I think, is just gravy because the the shortstop defense at this point just looked awesome out there. He's making plays that remind me of Derek Jeter in, in the postseason. Uh, and even getting into the grass, anything is, is fair game that can still be an out. Uh, and there are some speedy guys on the uh, Houston Astros team, and he is still with his arm. Not only the fact that he gets to the ball, but the arm strength to get it there and still get the out is, is incredible. I think overall you could mention here Willie Adamas for supporting cast, but you have to talk about the defense itself as that supporting cast. Uh, the race put on a clinic uh, in that seven-game series versus the Houston Astros. I mean, you had Kevin Kiermeyer making amazing plays out in the, uh, in the outfield, along with Manuel Margot and Hunter Renfro stepping in for him. These guys are making leaping over... Uh, uh, walls and, and making catches and diving catches. Joey Wendell catching the, I mean, the exit velocity on some of these things going to the hot corner that he is just picking up like it's nothing. Uh, and Willie Adams leading the charge there. You have this collection of players that play elite defense, and nothing is a a pitcher's best friend more than elite defense, and that has been helping. Uh, I, the biggest difference maker uh, in, against the Houston Astros wasn't one particular player, as much as I want to give credit to Randy Rosarina and what he was doing. If the Rays didn't have that defense, they don't make it to games uh, to Game Seven, let alone make it to the World Series. No, I I didn't. I couldn't find the exact stat. I just have unbelievable amount of double plays by Tampa Bay this series. I have no idea how many they turned. I couldn't find it anywhere, but. It seemed like every time the Astros would get a leadoff base runner on, they, they would get that ground ball and they would wipe it out. And it'd be, it would had to be so disheartening to the Astros players because at least those first three games, every time they would start to mount something, double play, double play, double play. And it was the, uh, the defense was the, was the difference. I said Altuve for at least the first few games had the yips at second base and couldn't get the ball to where he needed to be. And that's really cost the Astros. At least one of those games was almost exclusively because of the poor defense while the Rays were picking everything. And the the thing that I would highlight here is uh, you have the uh, it was a bad matchup Rays and Astros if you are a Rays fan because uh, the Rays like the high heat uh, they're pitching uh, the way that they pitch uh, is conducive to that power power stuff and Houston is an excellent contact hitting team overall good offense that hits the high heat evidenced by the fact that in four of those games uh, they gave up a first inning home run off a high heater. 
to like two or three different uh, Astros, Springer, yeah, yeah uh, hitting those, giving that first inning home run, uh, first inning uh, lead uh, out of the gate. Uh, that's not a good matchup uh, there where it helped them on the other side is that pitching to contact with that defense behind them. Uh, Ryan Thompson, a random uh, uh, player who even I had no clue what his name was before he ended up with a raise this past year. Uh, ground ball hitter. He was a key ground ball pitcher, excuse me, uh, a key component of those double plays of, of uh, leaning on the defense and getting it done. Uh, that's what helped the raise there. The power stuff we'll talk about versus the Dodgers here as part of the, the big questions. But my uh, supporting cast that I'm going to mention, uh, especially is Mike Zunino. Uh, here's a guy who uh, was more known for his defense and uh, ability to handle the staff. Uh, but in the postseason, he, uh, Number one, first, I guess, durability. He has played in 12 of the 13 playoff games that the Rays have been in. For a catcher, that's already an enormous amount. But four home runs hit, and most of them were in key situations. Game seven, he hits the the blast there and a sacrifice fly, uh, being a key part of that uh, offense to uh, to go past the Astros and make it to the World Series. Uh, he's hot at the right time. I guess I'll throw one other name in there. Uh, G-Man Choi uh, has been heating up. Uh, he had a home run off off a of coal. Uh, he had the game tying home run in Game Five versus the uh, versus the Astros. Would have talked about that more if not for the walk off by Correa uh, in that game. But he is ten for thirty four in the postseason, uh, two home runs and eight walks. So his on base percentage is almost at five hundred. Uh, so again, these are some of those supporting cast players that we'll uh, we'll see. Was there someone else on your list? I, I had G-Man Choi as my other kid. I had William Adamas and G-Man Choi. G-Man Choi, he's bounced around baseball, actually. He's been on, I think, four teams now, including the race. So Angels, Yankees, Brewers, Rays, I'm pretty sure. And as usual, the race unlock something extra in these guys. And he's he's had a nice career before that. But, but another one, the defense is incredible at first base. The stretches are just My groin painful hurts to watching watch. him. Yeah, he any of those... Even slightly off-target throws, and he finds a way to make them. So his defense is incredible, and yeah, he's one who he, he draws a walk, which is awesome. You want that out of a guy like that, and he is he stopped doing the switch hitting. I think I, I've noticed he, he gave that he, up, huh? He did about uh, after the first third of the year because it messed up his other side swing. Okay. I was wondering about that. I was going to ask the, you about that. In the offseason, I wonder if that would, uh, because of what happened, uh, his numbers are, are down overall uh, from what it was in the previous season, uh, and part of it is the, the, the switch hitting. Uh, aspect. While he has the ability, as he's shown, from hitting from the other side, I wonder if he's going to completely ditch it now or with an offseason to work on it, does he bring it back? That'll be curious to see. And we'll be curious to see. It's kind of a new thing. Bias switch hit at the very end of the year, too. I saw that for the Cubs. So maybe more players are going to start adding that as as more pitchers become specialty arms and the three-man out rule. Switch hitting could be kind of making a return. Not that you know, it ever really went away, but it wasn't as popular as it used to be. Interesting offseason storyline to follow. Yeah. Let's switch to the, the Dodgers here and talk about the, the team that everyone expected to be uh, the number one team in baseball, uh, and they lived up to that billing. And a team that already, again, has made it to the World Series two of the previous, la- two of the previous three seasons, then they go and add Mookie Betts to that lineup. Uh, and, uh, and if we're talking, again, as we look at stars, slumps, and supporting cast, yeah, you have to begin with, with Mookie Betts. He has been everything that they uh, could have hoped for, uh, and doing it from a leadoff position, too, has just added a new dynamic uh, to what already was a very good offense. It is, he's been, he has not hit a home run yet this postseason, which is the only thing you could possibly say, but 
his ability to get on base on the top of that lineup between his ability to draw a walk or get the doubles and then steal a base, draw a walk, steal a base. He's a spark plug. He's always been a spark plug. He's sat on the top of that Red Sox lineup for years. Now he's doing it for just as good of a lineup out West. And if we're going to talk deep, if I'm going to talk about the Rays defense, I got to talk about Mookie Betts defense. I believe he robbed three home runs in that last series against the, the Braves. Freddie Freeman hit at least two home runs and could have had two more if he could have hit it about another two feet. Yeah, it uh, won't be on Freddie Freeman's Christmas card list no. this year. No. Uh, just making some incredible defensive plays, just a, a true impact player. Uh, it doesn't matter in how a game is going to go. You know that Mookie Betts is going to have at least one or two of those moments every game. That's how good uh, he has been in the postseason. Uh, again, walk percentage, almost 15%. His strikeout percentage is only at 16%. He makes contact, uh, an elite contact at that. He's got a 137 WRC plus uh, on this, batting 311, 407 on base percentage. Like he has been outside of the home runs, he has done everything else uh, extremely well. Uh, but if we're going to say another player that has done things extremely well, it would be the NLCS MVP, uh, Corey Seager. He's, I, I believe I said that Corey, if there's one player who could hit 400 this year when Charlie Blackman was hitting 400, I said it's Corey Seager because the man barrels every all year, all he's done is barrel the ball. And he hit, I believe, 310 or 308 or something like that for the year with 15 home runs, and it's been the same thing in this postseason. Every pitch up there, he is on it. And so he hit six home runs so far this postseason. He's only hitting 298 because he somehow has like a 235 BABIP still, but uh, Corey Seager has been incredible. There's rumors all the time that they're trying to bring Francisco Lindor to the Dodgers. I don't know why they would do that. They should make a move for some relief pitcher. Josh Hader would make a ton of sense for them if they're going to make a move this offseason. But that's for, again, again, I'm getting ahead of myself there because we're not that far yet. But Corey Seager, yeah, he he absolutely deserved that MVP award, and he's played like that all year. You mentioned his uh, barrel percentage on uh, uh, baseball savant. It uh, tracks exit velocity mm-hmm. and uh, barrel percentage. And number one in all of baseball is Fernando Tatis Jr., at 12.5% for barrels per plate appearance of just getting that best contact uh, on a on a hit. Uh, Corey Seager is number two at 12.1%. So he has been doing this all year long. It showed in the NLCS. Again, 310 batting average, five home runs, 11 RBIs in the NLCS alone. He's the eighth player in MLB history as far as the uh, overall postseason numbers go. Eighth player in MLB history with six home runs and 15 RBI. Uh, he has been tearing the cover off the ball uh, throughout the postseason, throughout the year, uh, and uh, is at this point, yeah, I'll say he's underrated uh, because they keep doing the trade rumors with Lindor and elsewhere. You don't need Lindor. You have Lindor. Uh, he may not have the same power numbers, but you don't need that. He's, he's doing everything else. Uh, and now the injuries have been uh, over the course of his career. That's been what's always held him back. It's not performance. It's been durability. But right now he is healthy, and he's been doing a fantastic job. One thing to note with uh, Seager, he's got uh, some of the best numbers versus the Rays. Now, again, you can take this with a grain of salt because with interleague you're not seeing guys all that much. Uh, but in eight games versus the Tampa Bay Rays, 321 average, 406 on base percentage, 429 slugging, 835 OPS, he has nine hits and uh, seven RBIs 
uh, in eight games versus the the Tampa Bay Rays. I'm sure you'll see that stat a time or two uh, watching the TV broadcast. I likes to put that stuff up there ad nauseum. I told you, I think the thing you're going to see all week is David versus Goliath, underdog stuff, and you could probably put make a betting or like a drinking game out of that, and we could get really, really unfortunately drunk if, if we had some of that stuff. But, uh, yeah, I I think you'll probably see all that stuff about Corey Seager actually having success against these guys. I Mookie Betts, I'm sure if we looked up his stats, I'm sure he's had plenty of success against the Rays in his career in Boston. So, yeah, those those guys were great. Uh, the star I want to mention is there's a lot of stars to mention on Dodgers. We could go for a while on this. but Absolutely. Let's talk Clayton Kershaw because the Trolls came back out after he wasn't great in his must-win game on game four. And once again, I just it comes down to this. Here's here's why his postseason numbers are not as incredible as his regular season numbers. Because in the postseason, you're going to pitch him until he, until he starts to struggle. If Clayton Kershaw is going well, you're not taking him. Like we talked about Charlie Morton, game seven that came up. I thought he got pulled early. Like it was at 80 pitches and he gave up one hit. And Kevin Cash pulled the plug and said, "Let's go to the bullpen." Okay. Well, they have an excellent bullpen for Clayton Kershaw's Dodgers career. It has always been, can the bullpen hold up this lead? So, Hey, guess what? If Clayton Kershaw can maybe go 120 pitches, let's go 120 pitches here. So once again, that happened. And I think Clayton Kershaw is great. I said, but many times maybe his postseason stats aren't as great as his regular season stats. It's just because he's asked to pitch so many innings in the postseason. You know how I mentioned there's only like four times that a pitcher has gone over six innings in the postseason. Kershaw is oh, on sure. that list. I'm sure because you're gonna you're not gonna take him out if he if Clayton Kershaw is not giving up hits. You don't take him out. That's you don't do it. So. That's why, his, and once again, that's what I saw it the other happened the other day. He wasn't great. He was not great. Absolutely, he gave them uh, absolutely gave them a chance to win again. So when I saw all the trolls come back out and say, "Oh, Clayton Kershaw's postseason staff is back," it's like, no, he's very good still. So I just wanted to mention that. Let's talk about players in in slumps. I'm going to first do a career one. Uh, that is, he just has not had that postseason success. You, obviously, people talk about Kershaw, and we've talked underlying reasons why uh, that's uh, more on the inaccurate side. Uh, Bellinger, uh, Cordy Bellinger, has uh, a 196 uh, career batting average in the postseason. Now, that has been better this postseason. He's got a 250 batting average, 365 on base percentage, 545 slugging percentage. You'll take that. Uh, and uh, even though that may not be at his MVP level numbers, those are still above average numbers, uh, but obviously something to watch as we get onto baseball's biggest stage. Uh, can uh, Bellinger, who's such a, a key component uh, to uh, this, uh, this franchise, uh, can he shine uh, in this spotlight? Well, we gotta, if we're going to talk about Cody Bellinger, we had to talk about, first off, he obviously has the massive hit in game seven. He hits the home run in the seventh inning. Yep. Gives them the lead, runs around the bases, and then the you're going to celebrate, right? It was I think the rule is still actually in place that you can't celebrate, but that one has not been enforced at this point. So, That's gone out the window. Yeah, that one got th- ixnate at this point. So he jumps into, was it Justin Turner? I don't remember who he jumps into, but he jumps into him and kind of shoulder checks him and he clearly comes up grimacing and he grabs that shoulder and then he goes out and plays the ninth inning and he's clearly grabbing that shoulder, but he's a tough guy. He's a great guy, right? He actually makes the final out on a fly ball. And uh, after the game, it's reported that he separates his shoulder on that celebration. So uh, aggressive celebration. He says, you know, I'm good to go here, but in two, three weeks, we talked about this in two, three weeks. If Cody Bellinger has shoulder surgery, I certainly would not be surprised. 
Absolutely. That's one of the questions uh, uh, that we'll talk about as we try to debate the key parts of this uh, this matchup here. Uh, so we'll bring that back up in a little bit as well. Uh, you can't talk slumps on the Dodgers uh, without looking at pitching side and talking about Kel- uh, Kenley Jensen. Uh, you know, has dealt with uh, velocity uh, being down. Uh, his manager has come out and said he's no uh, no longer the automatic option for the ninth inning. Uh, but in games five and six, he was much sharper, had uh, one, two, three innings back to back. But he's the, the biggest question mark in that Dodger bullpen. One of those games was like six pitches he got three outs too. So he, he, at this point, he is very similar to old Mariano Rivera where he's basically throwing one pitch up there. It's the cutter. It's it's always been the cutter for him, just like it was always for Mariano Rivera, but his fastball's lost velocity, and so he's basically just chucking cutters up there. So when he can locate it, he looks very good. You know, Kenley Jansen, for all the issues, complains about Kenley Jansen. He had a 333 ERA this year for the regular season. He has not had an ERA above four his entire career. So Kenley Jansen's bad as a lot of people would take that. And no he may not be the lockdown closer that he was where he was, you know, t- sub two ERAs, but nobody else would be very upset to have a pitcher like that in your bullpen. I don't know if they'll yesterday when they needed a lead, they did not turn or they had the lead. They did not turn to Kenley Jansen. They let Julio Urias pitch the last couple innings and they didn't get any hits off of him. And he's got a very impressive left arm. So you stick to what you have. The Dodgers, this is where the Dodgers depth comes in. They don't need to turn to Kenley Jansen to save games for him. He can pitch the sixth inning very much like the Rays have done with Nick Anderson, where they bring him in to pitch the sixth, seventh inning. It's the same type of thing. Uh, Kenley Jansen's been not as good as we expected, but I still think he's an above average pitcher out of that bullpen. Absolutely. If I'm going with a slump on the Rays, though, I'm going to go to a guy that you watch him pitch, and it's like, wow, this is incredible. How does this guy not strike out everybody out? And it's Dustin May. Like, I've talked about Dustin May on here. He throws 100 miles an hour. It moves, like, six inches in on batters. So when you watch it, it looks incredible. The gifts are out there galore on Twitter. You can watch how impressive his stuff is. He strikes nobody out considering it, and he walks way too many guys. So this postseason, he has a 235 ERA, which sounds really good. But the 483 XFIP, because he's walking close to seven batters per nine innings. Because I don't think he can control his own stuff, moves so much. I don't think he can control it. So at this point, I don't know why people are swinging at some of his stuff. And I, Dustin May, I have more concerns that Dustin May, if they have to start him. And at this point, I think they're probably going to start him. They started him, was it yesterday? Yeah, they started him yesterday. And they immediately went to Gonsolin because they're sort of doing the opener thing with him because. I don't think you can trust Dustin May very long at this point because his control is just so off. That's one of those things with a young pitcher. If he's able to uh, get a handle on that more, he has a high ceiling. But uh, until he gets out of his own way, uh, he's never going to reach it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's going to be one of the biggest uh, question marks uh, in the here and now as we look at this series. Uh, the Rays uh, play an ugly style of offense, uh, at least right now when, when you have some of their key players uh, in, in slump mode. Uh, they walk a lot, they strike out a lot, and they hit homers. It's the three-outcome offense. Uh, it has worked well enough for them, having a, a red-hot uh, Randy Rosarina uh, and even Mike Zunino getting into that. Uh, but uh, with this pitching, like I, said, I think they're going to need something else. But f- versus Dustin May, uh, they will take their walks versus him. Uh, and they will uh, play the, the long game uh, when they know that the Dodgers also are playing the short game with them. Uh, so that'll be a key matchup to look at moving forward. Anyone else you have on there for slumps? Nope. Then let's talk supporting cast. Uh, we mentioned before we got started here, uh, even the supporting cast of the Dodgers would be stars on other teams. 
you have their uh, you have your superstars uh, that are on the Dodgers. Then you have the other guys that are still elite players. Uh, and you're looking at uh, there's a few people you could talk about. For me, I'm going to mention one who's a lower on this list who almost got traded. Actually, there was a trade agreement in place. Then I got next, and that's Jock Peterson. Uh, he is meant to be a right-handed pitcher crusher. He's a platoon player uh, on this team, but he does it very, very well. Right now in the postseason, he is batting 375, 400 on base percentage, 500 slugging percentage. He's 9 for 24 with a home run. Uh, he is going to be has the potential to be a key bat versus some of the right-handed pitching options that the Rays will throw out there from Tyler Glass now and Charlie Morton. Yeah, that's that's you, you nailed it. They're basically playing him at DH at this point because their outfield is so good with Pollock and Bellinger and Betts. So they're, he's only playing DH at this point. And, yeah, he crushes right Andrews. He's done it his whole career. So that's that's an excellent weapon that most teams would have to pull it in the outfield and probably deploy against both righties and lefties. But the Dodgers have all that depth that they've had their entire time here. So, yeah, Jock Peterson, it was going to be to the Angels, right? Angels, Correct. which they got traded to. Yeah, Correct. that's right. But that fell through at the end. So... At this point, you're gonna you're gonna use them when you can. Uh, let's see here. My supporting person, I have Kike Hernandez, Enrique Hernandez, and it's statistically he's only been up 20 times this postseason, uh, and he's got two home runs to show for it. But it always feels like when the Dodgers need a big hit, or I I can't quantify it, but when the Dodgers need a big hit, I've seen it in many postseasons. Here we said they play a lot of postseason games recently. When Kike Hernandez comes up. He gets a big hit for him. He hit a home run yesterday to tie that game up. He's done it his whole career. The Dodgers, he doesn't even start most of the time for him. They played Chris Taylor at second, and Kike Hernandez pinch hits or comes off the bench and pinch runs. And if there is like a glue guy that the Dodgers have, when you talk about all the superstars they have, I think Kike Hernandez, Enrique Hernandez is it. Yeah, he is... Uh... Uh, like you said, just come up with those timely hits. Uh, made the most of limited opportunities. Uh, and I'll throw one more name in there, and that's their uh, young catcher, Will Smith. Uh, he has not hit for a good batting average, uh, but he has 11 RBIs in the postseason. Uh, that means, again, you're coming up when uh, you're getting uh, players on base and scoring position, and you're making the hits where it counts. Uh, and uh, when you have the bottom of your lineup doing that, uh, it puts that much more pre- pressure on an opposing pitching staff. Uh, it, it lengthens that lineup. Uh, and coming through uh, there just adds to the reason why the, the Dodgers had one of the best offenses in uh, uh, in the National League and in baseball overall. Uh, and we have Will Smith uh, has been a key supporting player uh, in the postseason. Did you see the Will Smith versus Will Smith at bat? I did not, but mm-hmm. I did hear about it. Yeah, Will Smith... Beats Will Smith, hits a home run off of him to beat the Braves in that game. So it was something else. I felt vindicated because Will Smith, the pitcher, I've complained about that contract all year, so I felt vindicated in that one. Uh, My last supporting cast member here, this guy would be a star on every other team probably, and that's Julio Urias. Uh, The Dodgers just have so much pitching that he probably gets forgotten behind Bueller and Kershaw, but he's only started one game this postseason. He's pitched in four. He's got 16 innings, so you can tell even when he's not starting, he's coming in to pitch in big-time situations for long stretches of time. He's got four wins, so he's been in four games, and he's won all four of them, which is also a little lucky, but uh, he's striking out nine guys per nine innings. He doesn't walk anyone. He hardly ever gives up home runs. He has a .56 ERA in this postseason. Uh, Whether they use him in, I said yesterday they used him to close out the game because you trust that left arm whenever he's out there. They can use him to start. They can use him as an innings eater afterwards. He's great. This whole career has been 
just a little injury. I think he was a few injuries from away from being the next superstar in that Dodgers rotation. Yeah, he was a 20-year-old phenom when he was first called up. He's now only 24. I wanted to double-check what his age was. Uh, and the stuff has always been there. You're right in saying it's been the injury issues. Uh, he hasn't been able to, uh, They, I think due to that, uh, he, he was a starter in his uh, first two years with them. Injury issues really hit hard. They moved him into the bullpen, uh, and uh, he has at least gotten solid innings for them. Uh, 80 innings pitched in 20, uh, 2019. Uh, he was at 55. Uh, and uh, as they moved him back to the starting rotation uh, this past year, uh, and then just limiting his his innings, but uh, ten games started and fifty five innings pitched. So I mean, he's getting over five uh, uh, per start, uh, and now you have a chance to move him into more of that uh, swingman role. Yeah, and and it fits him perfectly as someone who especially has the stuff that uh, that he has. So that's going to be a a key. Key person to watch as we look at this series. He could be someone who could follow up. Say Dustin May comes out there and gives you two, three innings, and then his wildness catches in. Maybe he gets two, three innings. You can turn to Julio Urias for four or five innings. You you feel pretty confident those four or five innings are going to be rock solid. So let's take a look at the uh, World Series schedule, uh, what it looks like. Again, we at this time, we know what the Tampa Bay Rays rotation is going to be. There's still a little bit of question about the Dodgers, but we have a pretty good idea of what's going to be there. We know for sure what game one is. We're looking at Tyler Glass now versus Clayton Kershaw, uh, and uh, that's going to be a fun one uh, to watch. Again, as being a, a fan of an American League team, uh, I don't, I've never watched the Dodgers. That just isn't something that's there. You hear all these things. You see clips of things. Uh, but I'm looking forward to that pitching matchup. Uh, game two is going to feature Blake Snell versus... Uh, there's some rumor out there that maybe uh, Walker Buehler would start on, on short rest in order to guarantee two, uh, two times in the, the rotation for him. But I just don't see that being likely. More than likely, you're looking at, again, uh, Dustin May uh, and, and Gonsolin. Uh, being that uh, combination for for innings bullpen type of situation for game two. So we haven't talked enough probably about Tony Gonsolin. He hasn't been great in the postseason. He's got like a nine ERA, but in the regular season, Tony Gonsolin was incredibly good for them. Uh, Forty six innings, he started eight games, and he had a two thirty one ERA. And once again, it's just the depth of the Dodgers that these guys don't get mentioned. Tony Gonsolin has been great. I don't know if he'll start, if he'll follow up the starter. Uh, he and I said in the postseason he's given up too many home runs and he's walking guys. But in the postseason, in the regular season, he was great. So he would make a lot of sense. I think game two. I would not push Walker Bueller early. Uh, for all you know, I love Walker Bueller. I think he's excellent, but I would not push him in short rest. I don't know if you need to. Yeah, I would uh, trust the rest of your pitching staff there of who got you here, uh, and uh, this way you make everyone stronger as a, as a result. The one thing I did hear mentioned, I don't remember if it was. Uh, Keith Law or David Schoenfield uh, from ESPN, uh, that after starting Clayton Kershaw on game one, the recommendation was to push him back an additional rest day uh, in the, like, for instead of doing a, probably game four, I think the recommendation was game five uh, if it gets there. The thought process is with Kershaw, especially with injury issues, the additional day of rest would actually benefit him more. But that was at least one speculation there. I don't. I don't see that happening. I get the thought of it, but I think they're going to keep things well, on a regular. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, they're ahead. getting some off days now, right? So they're getting some off days. So you, the games are Tuesday, Wednesday, and then you get an off day and Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then Tuesday, Wednesday if we need to be. But yeah, it's. It, I I wouldn't push him. I I would take my chances on Clayton Kershaw on that much rest. But you know, they. I don't know if it was Keith Law. 
Did he mention Josiah Gray? I don't know if I've ever mentioned Josiah Gray is like an next superstar pitching prospect that the Dodgers have. I don't know if he's on their postseason roster or not. But. That roster hasn't actually been set yet, so oh. I'll be curious to keep an eye out uh, for that. Uh, and uh, I, wrapping up for the, the game three, Charlie Morton versus most likely uh, uh, that would be uh, Bueller mm-hmm. out of that, and then looking at Urias game four. Uh, is uh, kind of what we're seeing uh, and there. Yarborough. Be- Yarborough and potentially an opener, sure. uh, the way that uh, has gone. They've gone back and forth on that one, using an open- opener and not using an opener. Uh, but let's talk those World Series conditions uh, that you mentioned here. Again, we've seen the-, the Rays have played an unprecedented 12 postseason games in a 13-game span. That has never been done before. Uh, that's due to the no-off days. Uh, for every series leading up to this, and then going the full max from uh, uh, Game 5 and a Game 7 and the uh, ALDS and the ALCS. This time we're going back to more of a traditional format. There's going to be off days. So uh, break that down for us again as you were starting to do there. Okay, so the pitching is probably the advantage of both. Both these teams' strongest suit is their pitching. That's part of the reason they've gotten to this point. Now, getting that extra day's rest in there, really benefits the bullpens where I would say the Rays have the advantage, at least in the bullpen. We, you talked about the stable, uh, Nick Anderson, Fairbanks, uh, Castillo, I loop. I don't McClanahan. I can go for a while, right? So Alvarado has come back yeah. from injury and looked sharp and they've been great. And so that extra day of rest in there means you can probably send them out there two days in a row or three days in a row at this point. And I don't know if the Dodgers have, they have a very good bullpen. I don't want to say it's not good, but it's maybe not as good as the Rays. Where if I'm looking at the starting pitching here, you you can make the case that Tyler Glass now is up there as maybe the best pitcher in the series. But uh, I would still take Clayton Kershaw and Walker Bueller, and then Tyler Glass now is maybe on that level. And then I'm going to put Blake Snell and Charlie, as good as Charlie Morton's been and Blake Snell's been. I don't think they're as good as Bueller and Kershaw. So the the Rays have three great pitchers. The Dodgers have two great pitchers. But then I'll take the Dodgers as having with Urias and May and Gonsolin as having more depth than for all as great as Ryan Yarbrough has been, you take the depth of that. So the off days in there allow the Dodgers, if they want to, to maybe get extra starts out of Kershaw and Bueller and perhaps give them the advantage. But it should be it should be excellent to watch the pitching matchups and see how Dave Roberts and Kevin Cash manage it. Because without the now that the off days are back, that adds a whole nother level to it. It definitely changes the dynamic. You saw Diego Castillo, uh, it was in game six when it happened uh, versus the Astros. You can tell he's he wasn't sharp, uh, and that was just from overusage. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of games and a lot of days. Uh, and not that it was, again, not that it was a poorly uh, poor decision from Kevin Cash or anything. That's just the having this type of grueling schedule is going to lead to that. Some guys are going to lose their sharpness by the end of a five and seven game series, taking it all the way to the very end. Uh, the days off will help those bullpen members be more crisp. Uh, again, that's going to help both teams, perhaps more with uh, the Rays bullpen-wise, but then starting pitching, I agree with you, in terms of the upper echelon. Uh, it depends who you have from, uh, like, Glass now could possibly do it. Morton, potentially, but it's less innings. Again, that's mm-hmm. the point. These other guys can go deeper, especially for a Rays team that will strike out. Uh, that can go advantage in favor of the of the Dodgers being able to keep their starting pitchers out there longer. So a storyline we'll uh, uh, wait to see. The new storyline also here for this is we're talking fans. Yeah, the, the Dodgers have gotten that experience. So that's the other thing is the Dodgers have now played seven games in front of fans against the Braves. Uh, it seemed like it was a pretty even crowd, actually. A lot of Braves fans, but a lot of Dodgers fans because it's you know basically right in the middle here. And once again, the kind of in the middle in Texas. But this will be the first time the Rays have ever played in 
was it Globe Life Park now is what they're calling it in Arlington, right? Globe Life Park. So this will be the first time they've ever been there. And the Dodgers now have had seven games and an extra time practicing there. So outfield dimensions, right? Different. Uh, po- you know, foul territory, different. So it'll be an interesting to see if the Dodgers have a quote-unquote home field advantage having already had some experience there. Yeah, this is a total new uh, ballpark this year. So normally the Rays would have seen this uh this uh, ballpark more than the Dodgers would with a, with any sort of interleague competition. But the way this was set up, uh, the only team that uh, has uh, played there uh, in the postseason that now is going to be the Dodgers here as part of this with the World Series now coming there. Uh, you have the only thing that works for the Rays' favor is uh, it's on turf and the same type of turf that is used at the Trop. So it's going to be a similar playing surface. Again, here's a team when you have uh, – uh, slapstick hitters, uh, Joey Wendell, uh, Kevin Kiermeyer, some of those guys uh, that are going to uh, benefit uh, with that uh, that exit velocity of getting a little bit more on that. You need to rely on, on defense to uh, uh, be a, it's going to be even more key with uh, and the Rays being off of it for a while. You got to get used to the speed of the ball coming at you, so that can uh, potentially be some issues in the first one or two games until you settle into it versus a team that's already prepared for it. Now, again, this is what practice is for. This is what taking uh, uh, liners and, and batting practice and, and getting all that hit to you to get yourself familiar with it and a team that's over and large used to uh, being with it, but something to monitor nonetheless. This will be when we see the Rays defense has been incredible. I talked about how great the Rays defense is. The Dodgers, just because their offense is so good and their pitching is so good, we don't talk about how good their defense is. Their defense is incredible, too. Maybe they don't make all the flashy plays the Rays made in the last one, but it's real solid. You, you trust, as I said, between Mookie Betts, Cody Bellinger, and A.J. Pollock, you have a rock-solid outfield that can get to a lot of balls. And then uh, the infield defense, Seager's great. Turner's really good over there at third. So their left he's side made is, a couple of oh, huge he's plays incredible in the at third base. So the, the Dodgers' offense and pitching usually is the key storyline just because it's what we're used to, but they have an excellent defense, too. So should be that should be pretty even, I would say. Well, we're going to take a look now after looking at the, each of the teams. Let's look at the matchup. We're going to look at the biggest questions of this series. We're also going to give you Trevor Bauer's prediction on this uh, World Series uh, and uh, our favorite World Series moment. All that coming up here in just a minute. You can take away our phones and you can take away our keys, but you cannot take away our dreams. That's right, because we're like sleeping when we have them. What you've just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. So as we take a look at the biggest questions in this World Series, I think the first one that comes to mind is uh, just dealing with the Dodgers' injuries. Uh, we still have uh, Kershaw's been uh, uh, been back, but that we've we've said that's the series or that's the the phrase, right? Clayton yep. Kershaw's back, and that can be both a good thing and a bad thing depending upon the circumstance. So we have to watch that with uh, so his game, health. It was game. Two of the last series, he got scratched early in the day and missed out with that back injury, and he came and pitched game, was it 
four? Yeah, you pitched four then because they went to Urias instead. So, yeah, the back injury with Clayton Kershaw, you got to hope it doesn't flare up. I, you don't want any of this whole season to be decided by an injury. I never want to see that. So hopefully the injuries stay away. And Walker Bueller uh, has had some small things going his is on. Always, his thing is always his blisters, right? Yeah. That's always the thing with him is can his hand hold up? Because was it the first series of the postseason when they played the Brewers, right? He had that the the blister flare up on his hand. Now he's his usual excellent self. We haven't heard from the blister in a while. It was showed up a lot in the regular season. You just hope the blister stay away because Bueller wasn't particularly good the first day, but he was excellent when they needed him in game six. And so if if they can get the if they can get four starts out of Clayton Kershaw and Walker Bueller, which the way it lines up, maybe it doesn't work out necessarily the right way. Man, one of them might have to pitch in relief. Uh, it's going to be real hard for the Rays to beat the Dodgers. And now watching Cody Bellinger, there's those the with big his shoulder three, thing yeah, his uh, shoulder with uh, thing. with that wondering how much of a lingering issue that is. People have always said once you have that type of shoulder thing where it pops out, it you you become more susceptible to that issue uh, until you get, until surgery corrects it if it comes to that. So it those are the things to watch. I think the biggest question there again: Should Dodgers have injuries. COVID protocols. Should have followed COVID protocols, and they wouldn't have to worry about it. No <laughs> celebrating. No no touching. Social distancing. Feel like arrested development if we're going to use the words no touching. <laughs> uh, but Dodgers bullpen. Uh, so I'm going to go back to uh, those are the two big uh, ones for Dodgers to me. Uh, that bullpen with uh, with with Jensen. You don't know if you're getting good Jensen or bad Jensen as you already broke down and stood at one pitch that he's pretty much at with the velocity being down and when his control is there, that pitch is very good. It does exactly what's needed. He was very good in games uh, uh, five and six, uh, but now. That's still something to monitor. They have other good pitchers, but it's not quite at the race level. No, no, it's not. It's not at the race level. And their main setup man all year was uh, Blake Trinan, and he had a terrible game. I don't remember which one it was, but he had a terrible game out there. They've turned to bruised our Gratterall, and Joe Kelly has made headlines at different times and pitched okay a couple of those days. But as far as far as bullpens go, the Rays have the advantage at this point. That that has to be how the Rays win this game is get to the bullpens and and have your bullpen beat the Dodgers bullpen, much like it did to the Yankees. That's basically how they beat the Yankees in the end, I said. They got to that pivotal game five, and while both of them were trying to struggle, the Rays had one more really good pitcher because the Yankees had to turn to Chapman early, and we all saw how that went down. So get to Kenley Jansen, maybe get a bad pitch, hit a home run or something like that. You don't want to – if you can avoid Clayton Kershaw, Walker Bueller, Julio Urias, Tony Gonsolin, Dustin May, Alex Wood, you can even throw in there maybe. You can avoid some of those guys or get them out of the game really and get to the bullpen. That's how you win if you're the Rays. And that will be dependent upon the next big question, and that's the Rays' offense. If we look at uh, in the regular season, the Dodgers averaged 5.82 runs a game, the Rays at 4.82. So the Dodgers' offense being one run, a full run better uh, here, and the Rays in the postseason – uh, it is uh, their offense is prone to being streaky when you are a three outcome overall lineup. You've had a couple of their key players we've mentioned being uh, in slumps right now. Uh, they have uh, ridden the hot bat of a Rosarina uh, and some timely home runs uh, in this, but uh, that offense is going to need more consistency. In fact, uh, that hit the reason for games four, five, and six uh, was that offense went non-existent. It went cold fast. And after a 3-0 uh, uh, lead, uh, it took a, a Game 7 and a Rosarina uh, bailing out Mike Zunino with the supporting cast. Uh, but otherwise, that offense uh, is way too streaky, and you're going up against Kershaw and Bueller and the others that you mentioned here. Uh, that's a key question. 
no one's going to kid themselves and say the Rays offense is as good as the Dodgers offense. Not even you. You're a Dodger, you're a Rays fan. No one's going to kid themselves and say the Rays offense is as good as the Dodgers offense. Correct. Now they've piecemeal it together. They've done it all year and they had the best record in the American league. So what they do works for them now, star for star. It's, it's obviously going to be the Dodgers, but it cannot be a one person show here at this point. Randy Rosarena has been amazing. We talked about it a lot. He cannot single-handedly carry the race. They need production out of the rest of the top of that lineup, whether it's low and met, low, low. Now I messed it up. Brandon Low, Brandon Low, Nate Low. <laughs> the uh, it's fun when you have two players doing it differently. The race first baseman uh, Nate uh, Low. Low and you have sweet and low. Okay, uh, just the uh, the weird uh, no. setup for it. And I get them mixed up half the time too. Okay, so they need production out of Brandon Low, Austin Meadows, uh, Margot was really good in one of the games. I don't remember which game it was. He was one of those games. He even had the amazing home run rob. But you know, they need Joey Wendell, maybe Willie Adams. I I don't know who it is. One of them has to step up and help I, out on this offense. I don't see the Rays winning this series without one of Meadows or Lau sure. breaking out of their slump. If they stay as cold as they are, the Rays don't win this. Yep. Uh, because you can't expect uh, a Rosarina to be this good. Uh, and even, even, if, even if he is, you need more offense than that. Because the, uh, here's the deal. The Dodgers, I don't, they might, Cody Bellinger's been cold basically all year. He hit a home run yesterday, but he's been struggling all year. I, you know what you're getting out of Mookie Betts. He's going to be just fine. And Justin Turner is a set the Dodgers record for most hits and Corey Seager has been on it all year. So Will Smith, we talked about these guys, right? They're going to get their offense. Uh, you can have the best pitching and the, the Rays have some incredible pitching, but the Dodgers are going to score some runs. You're not going to win these low scoring games, even as good as your bullpen is. And it, it's great, but the Dodgers score, you just said one run per more per game over the course of the regular season. The Rays are going to have to score some runs. I wouldn't expect I'm not saying there can't be some five to fours in here, but I would not expect a ton of two old pitcher duels in this series. So let's talk strength versus strength. That's the, the last question that I have here uh, is you are looking at the Dodger offense versus the power pitching of the Rays. Uh, one stat I did see here uh, is uh, as I was looking things up was the Dodgers versus power pitching, the Dodger offense versus power pitching. Uh, now you could say that maybe a, most offenses go down a little bit with that. Uh, but the, here's the Dodgers' numbers versus power pitchers this year. A 223 batting average, 322 on base percentage, 438 slugging, and 760 OPS. Uh, again, where the, the Rays' pitching staff was not a good matchup with the Houston Astros. We mentioned the type of hitters they had. They do well with high heat, uh, and that was causing problems uh, by the end of that series. Uh Versus the Dodgers. Now, again, I have not followed the National League West enough to to feel confident in the numbers that I just gave overall in terms of like how much does it truly impact it. Uh, in the NL West, there's some uh, very good pitching. The Padres obviously have it, but it's a matter of injuries there, and it was the second half of the year adding in Clevenger, et cetera, where that became a thing. How much have the Dodgers faced this type of high-velocity pitching uh, consistently is going to be a key factor there. The Rays offer it not only in starting pitchers. Uh, Tyler Glasnow had the most 100-mile-per-hour pitches in, of a starting pitcher in, in baseball this year. Uh, despite his troubles, Snell get, still gets it up there in the 97 range. Uh, but Peter Fairbanks, Diego Castillo, uh, Nick Anderson, uh, these are the types of, of pitchers that can neutralize good hitters, at least in theory and uh, on paper. 
here's the other thing I'll say about the Dodgers offense. If it's if we're going strength for strength, the other thing that the Rays had going for them against the Astros, we mentioned, was the Astros' lack of left-handed hitters. The Dodgers go right-lefty the entire way through the lineup. Mookie Betts is a right-handed batter. Then they turn it to Corey Seager, who bats left-handed. Then it's usually Justin Turner, who bats right-handed, followed by Max Muncy, who bats left-handed. We haven't even mentioned Max Muncy. He's an incredible yes. batter in his own right. Uh, Will Smith goes right-handed. Cody Bellinger left-handed. A.J. Pollock right-handed. Jack Peterson left-handed. And finally, Chris Taylor. So it usually goes right-lefty all the way through the lineup. That's not... I mean, the, the Rays have good pitching, but once again, that's you cannot get a great matchup. You're not going to get Correct. three straight batters of a great matchup here with the world with the bullpen rules that we have now. This truly has to be strength versus strength. If uh, anyone falters at all from the Rays, uh, the Rays pitching staff, if they are not at the level of what they're capable of, uh, these will be easy games for the Dodgers uh, because they have way too much depth. They have way too much star power depth in that lineup. And going righty-lefty, righty-lefty, there's no soft spot. There's no advantage. Uh, and the, the Rays cannot mix and match uh, with their bullpen the way you can versus some other teams. So, uh, again, if the Rays are going to do this, uh, Glasnow, Snell, and Morton have to be what they're capable of, or this is a very quick series. If any one of those guys in the first three games has a short start, any one of them, and they have to turn to the bullpen early, yeah, it's going to be real tough for the Rays to win this thing. Now, what's interesting with the Rays, though, is they very much have an, an A-list bullpen and a B-list bullpen, and you see when they're down or in games that they believe that there's a good chance they're going to lose this, they save the A-list bullpen. They don't use them. Uh, and you have uh, that's where you have like Shane McClanahan, who's uh, uh, a starter-turned-reliever this year, uh, uh, getting his his rookie uh, debut was in the postseason. Uh, he made his debut versus the Yankees in the ALDS, and uh, it wasn't the greatest uh, 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 debut to begin with. Now he showed also he can throw ninety eight to one hundred mile an hour heat, uh, but uh, his uh, in this COVID year, you, know, you can't have people there per se. And also, like even with uh, his dad came to to watch him pitch or within it, but his father's reaction or watched on the phone, I should say, and his father's reaction on the phone uh, to him to his debut was, "So a three two walk, eh?" <laughs> McClanahan said, it, "Yeah, great to talk to you too, Dad." That's right. Uh, so, uh, but you have some of those types of pitchers that can at least give you the length you need to save the arms where you're not seeing Fairbanks, Castillo, and Anderson unless they are in a tied or winning situation. Uh, Alvarado is, is a swing man within it, but again, uh, that helps in some circumstances, but the point remains. Uh, this is not a lineup that is going to be uh, exploited. The Rays are so good at taking advantage of those type of situations, uh, and uh, the Dodgers are built, as you'd expect a team like this, too good to do it that way. So you have to rely on your horses. Uh, and uh, I'm especially thinking from a starting, uh, the starting stable. Oh, yeah. uh, you need Morton, you need Glasnow, and you need Snell. Uh, and then you need one of Meadows or Brandon Lau being what they're capable of. Uh, so again, it's going to take more of a, uh, we mentioned small market teams. Uh, they have a, a more of a struggle in, in terms of the the, the margin, the, the the line that is there is so razor thin. Uh, to beat a team like the Dodgers, they will all have to be there. Now, again, great defense can bail out some of those moments. Uh, if that defense is the way it was versus the Astros, that's going to keep this very close as well. 
Did you happen to see the incredible stat about the Rays and their payroll versus the Marlins this year? I got to find it here quick. Hold on. So this one is from Darren Ruffle, okay? The Marlins paid Wei-Yin Chen $22 million this year to not pitch for them. Not pitch because he opted out or whatever, and he did not pitch. The Rays made it to the World Series on a payroll of $28 million. That's impressive. The uh, best bang for buck uh, you are going to find there. And it's a, we don't have enough time to even get into <laughs> the roster construction of just how well this was done. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have uh, 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 trading of, of prospects. You had a, a top 100 uh, uh, MLB prospect in Matthew Libertori uh, traded from the race, a team that prices their, uh, uh, their pitching prospects. Uh, traded uh, as part of a, a deal to get uh, Jose Martinez at the time and then Randy Arozarena. Uh That was the key guy, obviously, now that we're seeing that in the postseason. Uh, Tyler Glasnow and Austin Meadows, we know about that big trade that, that has uh, set the Rays up for years with that type of uh, uh, value from uh, uh, from uh, Chris Archer. And that doesn't even count Shane Baz, who's a top 100 uh, pitching prospect mm-hmm. uh, in baseball. Uh then you, I mean, you can look all the way up and down that lineup, just what they've done. Uh, drafted, they've drafted Blake Snell, they drafted Brandon Lau. Uh, they've made some smaller trades that you don't think about, or I guess prospects. Jesus Martinez for Nick Anderson uh, at the deadline. That team has been assembled that way, as well as other teams' discarded players. Ryan Thompson, uh, who I mentioned before. Uh, the Astros. Yeah, and yeah. And, uh, and there was a, uh, and my mind is just, uh, John Curtis. Uh, he was with the Philadelphia Phillies who desperately needed pitching, uh, and the Rays picked these guys off the scrap heap, and they are so excellent at pitcher and player development. Uh, they put these guys in roles in the best roles to succeed, and it has gone well. This is not a team that has been without its adversity. They lost uh, a third to a half of their starting bullpen from last mm-hmm. year to injury between the beginning of the year and now, and they still find a way to do the next man up and continue to get the job done. Uh, but I, the point in all of this is uh, even a Rays fan will tell you uh, not only is there a razor-thin margin uh, to begin with for this type of setup as we hear the David versus Goliath. Uh, if, I, if there was a shot glass next year, I told you to down know, that one. Right. Uh, but ultimately, uh, especially in this series, it's going to take that much more. If the Rays win this, it's, gonna be, it's going to be because everyone clicked at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Rays. Now we're to the prediction part, right? Right. We're getting to the prediction part here. The Rays are going to need to basically play perfect. Like they're going to need to yes. play as good as they possibly can here, and it still is going to be hard. Like that is what they're up against with the way the Dodgers are built for a series like this. Rays playing perfect means you're still looking at Game Six, Game Seven. Yeah. Yep. I would tend to agree with that. And. Uh, before this sounds too much like it's almost impossible to be done, uh, and you look at Tyler Glasnow, you look at Charlie Morton, you look at what these guys have done, uh, it's it's not the pitching that needs to change, and it's not the defense that needs to change. If their offense wakes up even a little bit, uh, you're talking about you need at least four runs per game, four to five. Uh, with good pitching, uh, even though the, uh, the the Dodgers have averaged that 5.82 that was mentioned, I, I, you can take that down. Again, it, it's going to be a four to five, five to four games. That's what you're looking at by and large. So you need an offense that's going to at least give you four, and you're in this thing. Well, we've we've seen they've been there three of the last four years now, right? And but we've seen they didn't win either those last two times. And yeah, it's a different team. They've got Cody Bellinger. I don't think he was even there that first year when they got beat by the 
Astros were the first one. Yeah, the Astros were the first one, the famous trash can Astros, right? That was been prime then, and uh, and then it was the Red Sox who beat them. So as good as the Dodgers are, they have not finished off a World Series yet. Uh, we'll see. Well, I'm going to ask you your, for your prediction, but before I do, I'm going to give you Trevor Bowers. As okay, he, I'll uh, listen to his. Uh, is uh, the uh, Mr. Opinion. Uh, you never have to wonder what he's thinking. Uh, he already gave his breakdown of what he's expecting in this World Series, uh, and that's as he breaks it down by who's uh, favored on a few different categories, offense, starting pitching, uh, bullpen, and defense. Okay, let me guess. Okay, so offense yeah. is first? Yep. Well, you got, you got to go to the Dodgers. That's yeah. I don't know who would pick anything yeah. opposite the, there. I said I love the way the way they built their team, but the Dodgers got star power. So what was next? Starting pitching. You, you got to go with the Rays. They have three that I trust. As I said, maybe Kershaw and Bueller are better than any of those three. But after that, I I think Dustin May, Tony Gonsolin, Julio Urias. I think those guys are great. But I still Charlie Morton's done it a lot longer. I've seen him do it before. So I'll go with the Rays. And uh, Trevor Bauer agrees with you. I'm on a roll here. What's next? Bullpen. Oh, the Rays. Yeah, that one's uh, as an easier one to do. He uh, put that down as well. And then defense. I said they're both really, really strong. Uh, I'll go with the Rays, but it's that's a razor thin margin there too. He agrees, and so he split the margin by saying push. Oh, uh, yeah, sure. So, that's even so a better were, answer. If I, were, if I could pull push, I would have gone push. Me and Trav on the same thoughts here. And so prediction. Uh, I'm going to take the Dodgers in six. Bauer says raise in seven. Oh boy, good for him. And uh, I, again, I, I'm pulled in two directions as anyone would be at this stage. I know what my heart wants to say. I also oh, know what my head wants to say. Uh, and so I'm going to go Dodgers in six. Yep. I would love to see a game seven and, and see what happens. But on paper, uh, the but now, to, to be fair, you could have said that about the Dodgers and their other uh uh, World Series opportunities as well. On paper, they were still the better oh, yeah. team. They, they weren't able to to eke it out. Uh, they've and, been the best uh, team in baseball for, on paper, at least I'd say for four or five years. It's, I mean, you could have always said, oh, look how great the Dodgers team is, and they've been really good. That's how you get to three World Series, but now you got to close one out. And so my my heart still wants to scream raise in seven as a result of that, but I'm going to go Dodgers in six. I'll give them this. If it goes to a seventh game, the Dodgers have already lost a couple of seventh games here in history, famously to the Astros a few years ago. So if it goes to a seventh game, I will say that the Rays have a better chance to win game seven than the Dodgers do. Here's why I also say that is that number one, this will be set up where uh, do you want anyone else in a game seven pitching than Charlie Morton? Nope. Uh, I trust because, him over Walker Bueller at that point. And also you're talking about uh, you, you're only looking to get five innings from him. Uh, it, this isn't meant to be deep. Someone who's that good for that for just that amount of innings, he can give you that, and he's shown that in his career. That was the, this would be the fifth do-or-die situation he pitches, and no one's going to be more prepared for that moment than he is. Then you also have Tyler Glasnow, who will be coming in next mm-hmm. uh, in that uh, Game 7 situation. So if I'm seeing a Game 7 that's going to have Charlie Morton and Tyler Glasnow and Nick Anderson, uh, I'm, I'm confident in that uh, lineup. So if it gets to seven games... Uh, I like the Rays' odds, uh, but we'll see what happens here. Again, I think it's going to be an exciting series regardless. Uh, we have a lot of uh, excellent storylines, excellent matchups, uh, and uh, players uh, to uh, to watch here. So enjoy um, the World Series this year starting on Tuesday at uh, 7 I think it's 9? 
709, it's either 707 or 709 uh, Central Time uh, on Fox. So we will look forward to uh, uh, the World Series this year. I suppose the the last thing that we'll uh, wrap up with very briefly is, as it is uh, World Series season, uh, best World Series or best World Series moment, uh, what would you like to say for a little bit of uh, nostalgia as we uh, look at World Series history? The one that I remember the most, so I'm now 30 years old. Makes me feel old now when I say 30, not a two number in the front, but I'm now 30 years old. And the one that I remember the most is Yankees Mets 2000 Subway Series there. And that's those are your classic Yankees. Derek Jeter's on that team and Orlando Hernandez and Andy Pettit and Roger Clemens and Bernie Williams. And that's the one where I believe it was game two where Roger Clemens was he the Mike Piazza and the bat throwing thing yeah. and it sort of became a fight or whatever and I think Cody Bellinger's dad would have been on that Yankees team if I'm not mistaken I think the Clay Bellinger was on that team but uh, the Yankees I think they won that in five or six games but um, just the, the whole idea of the subway series and these two teams that famously hate each other and will not trade or whatever just because they're in the same city even though they hardly ever played each other because of interleague stuff but uh classic Yankees team I remember you know Mariano Rivera obviously closing it out at the very end and so I said Mike Bernie Williams and Derek Jeter just some of those famous Yankees that made their postseason you know uh, history (laughs) the uh, one I'll give and I I understand why no Milwaukee Brewers fan would uh, talk about it is that the Cubs breaking the curse in 2016 Mm -hmm. Uh, and and mainly because I love seeing the ESPN story the, the day after all the cool memories uh, of uh, Cubs fans, uh, those that going to their uh, uh, gravesite of, of a parent uh, and uh, uh, just sharing stories of how it, a longtime Cubs fan in the history and then just saying, hey, Dad, it, it actually happened. You know, there's just a lot of cool things that came from that uh, that made it more of a nostalgic moment. Uh, plus, also, when you have uh, Bill Murray wandering around the, the field and clubhouse afterwards is always entertaining. But here's a World Series moment that I didn't know as I was looking up a, a little bit of this, uh, and that's in the 1926 uh, uh, World Series. It was Yankees versus Cardinals. Uh, and the Cardinals win by throwing out Babe Ruth, who was trying to steal a bag, uh, winning run on the bases, and that's how it ends. A rare... uh, uh, 1920s year when the Yankees don't win. uh, Yeah, one of the rare ones that they don't win. Uh, a rare one, especially during that murderer's row. That's, yeah, that's uh, Lou Gehrig there. That and, uh, and so you have also a rare uh, blunder by Babe Ruth. That doesn't happen often. You don't uh, think of him for his speed. There's a reason you don't think of Babe Ruth <laughs> for his speed. So, but, but the World Series, again, for any baseball fan, this is where, like in those moments, uh, in, in my head, I can still see like some of those key things. You see the, uh, the Carlton Fisk with the hands. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was the other one I read. Uh, the only reason why you even got that shot, that that stage shot, was because the uh, uh, the person running the camera, the cameraman, made the made an oops. There was an issue that was going on that he wasn't able to follow the ball, so he stayed with the uh, with Fisk. That was the first time you ever saw like a player reaction, uh, pushing that, it around the foul foul pole. Out yeah, there, yeah, and so it, it also changed the way that uh, games were covered from a TV standpoint. Uh, so just kind of some of those moments you have that you have the. Uh, your heart goes out to someone like a Bill Buckner when it goes between the legs. There's so many of these iconic moments, and they happen nearly every year. 
Uh, this is the stage in which uh, careers are made. Derek Jeter is known more for the World Series and postseason than he is during the regular season. Not to say that he isn't a, a Hall of Fame elite player First that has ever played. Yeah. Highest percentage ever, right? But everyone remembers him for these types of, of moments. So If we're going single moments, the moment I wasn't even alive. I mean, I, was, I said I'm 30 years old, but the one I always see and I'd hear talk, the, the call, Vince Scully's call is the Kirk Gibson home run, right, where he yes. limps out there on, what was it, his ankle was hurt or whatever, and he hits the home run to give the, Could barely the Dodgers, walk. right? I think that's the last time the Dodgers won the World Series. So, yeah, the game one of the World Series could barely walk and limps it around the base path. So that's, that's if we're just going single moments. Even though I wasn't alive, I... Know that one. So how many times are we going to hear references or see video clips of that in this World Series? You can add that to that. Uh, My bingo card thing that we're going to start <laughs> building up here. And, uh, yeah, it could be. You'll see that a lot. You'll hear about your Rays a lot. You'll probably hear David Price's name mentioned many times. Andrew Friedman, some of the Rays in oh, the yeah. you have some the, of the Rays Dodgers connections that we didn't even talk about. Yeah, Andrew Friedman, the former architect of the initial uh, Rays uh, uh, 2008 postseason run and through uh, – from 2007 to 2013, uh, he was the uh, the guy that built that uh, roster, uh, and then took big money at the same time with the exit. Kind of like Billy um, Bean, not doing it right. Yeah, and uh, but how could you not? Like I, I had no animosity towards him at that time. The Dodgers come calling with a ma- with almost a blank check for that point. Five years, thirty five million, which was huge for any executive, highest paid executive at the time. Uh, Joe Madden had a chance to do exactly what he's good at, going to a young Cubs team, putting that together. So all that made sense. But now you have uh, old and new. Uh, around uh, around Facebook, there's been a lot of then and now uh, posts uh, going out there. So now you have that uh, storyline going on here. Uh, yeah, going to be a fascinating series. Uh, get ready for it. Uh, grab your uh, uh, River Creek popcorn if you can. Uh, I have mine stocked and ready to roll. So uh, look forward to uh, a wonderful World Series, and we'll recap it uh, next week. Yeah, well, I, I suppose it could be, it could be a, like could be like the middle of next week. Now that there's some off days in there, I think it we could be looking at a little bit later than usual. Just say that. So we will. Uh, our next podcast will be recapping uh, the uh, the World Series. The only thing I could see is a small one. If we do get to a game seven, maybe we'll have a brief one that we'll throw out there yeah. uh, and and recap the first six games and uh, look at game seven. Uh, so we'll monitor that as it goes on uh, along with you. And uh, otherwise, we will uh, recap the World Series next time we're up.